Welcome to the Rise Network podcast show, a podcast dedicated to help you reach your dream lifestyle through investing in real estate. We're going to be sitting down with new, intermediate, and experienced investors to talk all about real estate and how it has changed their lives. If you're looking to scale your portfolio or even just get into real estate investing, you're in the right place. Make sure to tune in. Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Rise Real Estate Investing Podcast with your host, Austin Yeh and... And Mayu, what's going on, everybody? Missed you guys last week. Austin, what have you been up to? Um, yeah, I mean, things have been going pretty crazy, throwing out a lot of fires. Don't want to get into detail uh, in them right now because it's still ongoing. You know how it goes, the world of real estate investing. Yeah. And just thinking through as well, like where I really want to be real estate investing. Um, we were just chatting a bit offline as to what our what our plan looks like in terms of the acquisition side because i mean we've acquired a couple of properties um this year but we're, so, not- we're, we're, we're selling off a good amount too though right like uh we're like you and i together are yeah. selling off one two three four five six seven seven units seven units yeah exactly yeah, so, yeah. so we're selling we're gonna have some capital figuring out what exactly we want to do um with that capital buy more real estate, diversify into other assets, whatever the case may be, because a lot of our net worth is tied into real estate, which um, I mean, you you know, don't put all your eggs in one basket, right? And I'm not I'm not living up to that rule right now. Um, But I do see real estate as a as a it was definitely the the way for me to accumulate the majority of my wealth. But now I kind of want to preserve it, still grow it, but obviously not as aggressively as I've done before. So I'm just exploring, like, is that going to be apartment buildings? Do you want to continue operating in the small multifamily sort of space? Start trying to Airbnb some of my units for more cash flow. Um, I'm or JVs. I'm, I'm not exactly sure where I want to be just yet. So I'm just thinking through the pros and cons of each one because each like JVing, private lending, apartments, they they each have their own pros or cons. They each have their own um, sort of investor that you'll be attracting. Um, so it's just a lot of self reflection. Um, that's, it seems like it's been a pretty deep week. I haven't figured it all out yet, but, uh, still working through it. How about you, man? <laughs> yeah, exactly what you're talking about, right? Like we were literally just talking about it. And, and the, the problem with it is it seems like it's inaction, right? But it's kind of like deliberate, like, Hey, I'm just going to like think about this for a bit rather than like making it irrational or rash or rash move or whatever that word it's called. Um, so I, I think that's good. I, I think today morning, I was also thinking about something that you just kind of like touched about very briefly there is that there's so much that happens in real estate that like no one can really talk to, no one can really publicly talk about, right? Like even in our portfolio, there's shit that's going on that like real estate is a very big, like gray area kind of like industry where there's a lot of shit that goes on that like we really just don't talk about publicly, but like everyone's got their own challenges and like growing pains as well, right? Um, so I think that really summarized it for me personally, like this week, last week, it's been pretty quiet. Like we're just trying to get, I feel like our flip was at, 80 or 90% complete on like September like 5th. And then this last 20% has just fucking taken us like a whole month just to get there, right? We had like the water flood, um, which then resulted in some the mold. We had to get like a remediation company out there and then the bricks and like a whole bunch of like small, small issues that just took way, way longer than it should. But now it's staged, ready to hit the market. Got another flip closing November 22nd. So hopefully we can align the closing dates, but worst case, uh, we just use a little bit of nice. private money for, for a little wet. Little Where's your other flip uh, located? Prince Edward County. Prince Edward County. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, So, so just some updates on, on my flip similar to you, it's taken a lot longer than initially planned. So we needed to build a staircase, um, uh, legally. Yeah. It's a bit difficult, right? Because, um, 
it's the the quotes came back quite expensive a lot more expensive <laughs> than we were thinking i've never built a staircase so i wouldn't know so it we should had just to be get, wood right yeah yeah we're, <laughs> we're getting like tons of different quotes um and then yeah. you know some people are busy now so we have to line up the schedule for like a week or two whatever the case is but similar to you our flip is very very close to the finish line right now it's just finishing touches at this point yeah um and then we're good to go and then we're gonna list it uh some small things still need to be done so our contractor accidentally painted our wraparound balcony the same color as our siding and you can imagine how ugly that looks because there's no contrast right yeah, so we're having yeah. him repaint it white it's just like touch up small things here and there yeah let me ask you this how, yeah. how do you feel about flipping how like, do i feel overall about as an investment for you you like i don't know does it I excite like, you do you think you're gonna blow up in it like what do you think i prefer wholesaling over flipping right um if if that's kind of the question you're asking because yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm or like investing but yeah yeah i mean wholesaling for me it just it just makes much more sense um because you're in and out relatively quickly you bear less of the risk of because you're not doing any of the renovations you're you don't have you're not as exposed to real estate because you don't technically own the asset um like if the market goes up or down it doesn't like it impacts you in terms of your day-to-day business operations but from that particular asset point of view like it doesn't matter right um it's just obviously you're getting less of a return from wholesaling ultimately but you can do more wholesale deals in the time it takes to do a flip and also you're not actively raising capital for wholesaling as well whereas in flipping for a lot of people you got to raise private capital there's just so much moving parts uh i have nothing against flips like i would definitely flip again and i probably do intend to plan to flip again it's just that the deal needs to be like double what i would get via wholesaling right from an assignment yeah. and then i'd be like okay like it might justify enough for me to to do the work myself um, all right here's, here's one more question that yeah. i just think is interesting do you think wholesaling if you're not going to blow it up into a business so you know how i flip as like a I call it like a hobby, right? Like I flip like just one property at a time for fun. Um, do you think you can wholesale like that? Or do you think you have to build up a wholesaling business? No, you can, you can definitely wholesale like that. But like, again, like as you were saying, it's, it's going to be, I wouldn't call wholesaling a hobby. I don't think anyone wants to wholesale for a hobby, but the deal <laughs> flow is not going to be consistent. Like you're not going to expect to live off of it. If that's your game plan, mm-hmm. right? Like if you want to live off of that income, you got to treat it a bit more seriously. You can't casually mm-hmm. look for deals. And at the same time, it's harder to come by good deals. Um, so like, I feel like most people doing that will probably just end up quitting for the most part um, because it could take like $10,000 before someone gets their first deal. Right. And like most people aren't willing to put that money out because it's not a guarantee. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is possible to do it, but you just need to still be consistent with it. Because if you do it once, twice, even three or four times and you don't get a deal and you stop, yeah. that's just a sunk cost at that point. You could be 80% of the way there and not going the last 20%. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Whereas with the cool. flip, you committed to it, you know, you can't just yeah. back out of it. Just things that have been on my mind. Like I, you just think about it and you're like, fuck, like, I don't know what the right approach is. Like, I, I just feel like I've been having like these, like just deeper thoughts, right? Like what's next in real estate for me? Like I'm getting kind of, and someone brought this up the other day. They're just like, I think you're just getting pretty tired of like a normal, like single family duplex, like burr, like, you know, just burr, take your money out and just move on to the next thing. I think. So, I, so I've just been looking at it as like, what, what the fuck do I do next? But we'll see. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I think we always still want to grow, yeah. but at the same time, we don't want to magnify our headache as well because like we've, I've, at least I can speak to myself. There's a lot of headache in what I do. 
And yeah. I'm, my, you, like you and I, we've had crossovers in terms of yeah. having projects where there's been tremendous amount of headache. Yeah. I don't want to grow or amplify that. Like I'd probably have a heart attack. <laughs> and so it's just like figuring out what I want to do next, but at the same time being cognizant that I don't want it to significantly deteriorate my lifestyle from what it is now. Today, we have Joseph Costanza as our guest. He's a relatively new investor, been in the game for less than three years. And we talk about so many different topics in this episode. Um, Joseph specializes in duplex conversions. He's actually an architect. Um, he mainly operates in Hamilton, but recently pivoted over to Sudbury um, with his capital partners, raising capital from his family. We dig into all of that in today's episode and just kind of a sneak peek as well. Um, Joseph's actually teaching his contractor how to do duplex conversion as well. So we dig into all of that, how to build your power team. It's going to be an amazing episode. If you're a new investor or looking to invest long distance, you cannot miss this episode. So make sure to check it out. Also, before we, we jump into it, leave a review, um, support the podcast. Share it with your friends and audience. It helps us bring great guests and continues to keep us motivated. So let's jump into the episode right now. Hello, everyone. We are joined with our special guest today, Joseph or Joe Costanza. Joe, how's everything going, man? Good. How are you doing, guys? Not too doing bad. Well, man. Doing well. Joe, for anyone that doesn't know you, and I know myself and Austin as well, like, why don't you give us all kind of um, a quick background on what it is you do, like where you've come so from and, and what you're doing now. Yeah. So I started investing in real estate probably about two years ago, a little over two years ago. And so currently right now I focus on, on two markets. I'm focusing on the Hamilton market and the Sudbury market. And those are just kind of markets that I'm offering to uh, my joint venture partners, since those are the kind of the markets that I've dialed in at the moment. And so my primary kind of bread and butter focus right now is the bungalow conversions. So from uh, buying single family homes and converting them into duplexes or buying kind of illegal duplexes and making them legal. Um, and so that's been the process that I've been going through for the last two years. And uh, I'm really just enjoying the process right now, uh, building out the team, uh, bringing in more JV partners right now. And, uh, and yeah, that's, that's kind of where I'm at so far. So something we like to ask newer investors when they got started, because you've only been in this game for two years and similar to Mario and I, we haven't been in it uh, for too long. How did you actually get started in the world of real estate investing? Was it rich dad, poor dad? Was it YouTube videos? Did you always have a passion for it? Yeah, you know what? I've always like really been interested in the development space. And so throughout school and stuff like that, I was always focused on um, I, I went to school for architecture and engineering and stuff like that. So I was always focused on kind of the building aspect, but the understanding of how the finances work, um, for me really kind of took place well into kind of working a full-time job, realizing, you know what, you can't work your way to making a lot of money. You have to take risks and you have to invest. And so I started reading kind of all the, the books and listening to all the podcasts and watching the YouTube videos, but it really didn't hit home. Like I, I was absorbing all the information. I understood it. I understood how the process worked and how the finance worked, but it really didn't kick me into action. I think the moments that kind of kicked me into action, I had kind of a traumatic family experience that kind of put me in this place where it's like, I need to do this now. And that's when I started really going to, to meetups and, and really, um, until you meet people that are doing it and you're networking with people who are actually in the, the trenches doing the hard work, um, you don't really get that kick to want to want 
to do it. And so as soon as I started meeting people, I, I just decided it was like, I think a, a month or a month and a half after I'd gone to like my first meetup, maybe two, I just started to buy and, and I kind of haven't really turned back since. So this would be essentially the end of 2019, somewhere around there timeline that you got started. Yeah, sort of. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, it was kind of um, the towards the beginning of 2019, because um, that would be kind of uh, about. I'm a little over two months, uh, two years in. Sorry. Yeah, okay, cool. And and so I guess you got started. Is it in Hamilton that you got started, or? Yeah, so I got started in Hamilton. I had a lot of family out there, and so it kind of made sense for me at the time. I, I like the way the market is. I still love how the market is in the Golden Horseshoe, and I think Hamilton's kind of that that pinnacle of that that Golden Horseshoe growth right now. And so I really love the market out there. Um, but right now, it's turned more into an equity market and not necessarily a cash flow market. And so I've started to explore outward. Um, and looking for other cash flowing markets uh, for myself personally, I have kind of an objective within the next year. I want to be out of my full time job and doing real estate full time. And so, in order to do that, you need to have cash flow coming in. You can't just be buying equity properties. You need to actually build it out like it's an actual business and have revenue. And so, um, that's kind of the processes I'm going through right now. And and Buying in higher cash flow areas allows me to build it up more like a business, whereas I'm able to actually hire people on uh, more on a full, not on a full time, but like on a part time basis to, to help out where I can. And so that kind of lessens my workload, allows me to focus on finding the deals and bringing in the JV partners. And so what do you do for a living? Like not your company, but I guess, are you, you yeah, no, 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 no engineer? Yeah, well, um, I started off kind of uh, in architecture and engineering kind of idea, and I've worked in that space for a little bit. I now work with developers and I uh, help build high rise construction. So that's kind of uh, that's my full time gig right now. Um, So I'm familiar with the development space and the permit process and stuff like that. So there's a kind of a lot of value add that I add to my JV partners from that perspective, too. Um, Yeah. So that's kind of what I do on the full time. I want to kind of dig into your first property there. So um, because we do have a lot of new listeners, so I always find it inspiring to kind of give the breakdown of how people got into their first deal and how the numbers panned out. So walk me through kind of your first deal uh, in real estate. Was was the point to get a conversion uh, under contract? And, and when you were looking at Hamilton, um, what were the prices like? Did you have your money saved through, I don't know, working? Was it raised capital? Walk me through that entire journey. Yeah. So um, when I purchased in Hamilton, the prices were a little bit more palatable, if you will. Uh, they uh, they were a little lower. I purchased the property at 470. And so I came up with the funds. Mostly I was working kind of two to three jobs at the time, just really hustling uh, as much as I could. But the truth of the matter is when I bought my first place, I didn't have the full down payment. Like I had to, I had to borrow a little bit of it. I had to to do what I needed to do. I talked to family and stuff like that. And that was a, that's a challenge in itself that we can dive into. Um, but, uh, I, I think the important thing for me, uh, and we'll break down the numbers soon, but it's taking chances on yourself and not necessarily, um, waiting, uh, for things to be the perfect scenario. And that's been kind of how I've, uh, functioned my entire investment journey is just taking risks on myself. And so, for this one, this particular deal, we uh, we bought at four seventy. I had to borrow a few thousand to finally close. Like for example, like I didn't even know that there were closing costs when I closed on the property. Like I found out kind of later on that there was like a 
an $8,000 closing cost between lawyers and all the other stuff. And it's like that kind of threw out the budget. But even no one tells that, you that stuff, eh? No, no one tells you that there's all these <laughs> other fees. That. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The worst is when you buy in Toronto and you get hit with that double land track. <laughs> like, what do you mean I gotta bring up like 20 grand? Like, fuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> is it 20 grand? I know, I swear. No, that, like it would be higher. Yeah, like depending on purchase price, you get, yeah, 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 it exactly. gets kind of ridiculous. Cool, man. So when you were buying that first property in Hamilton, you bought it with the intention of doing a conversion. So like, did you already know like your Ontario building code, what would be required to like go the conversion route or like, how did you go about Cause like jumping into conversion right off the bat, um, it's tough to do. Usually I find the people that do that have like failed along the way. So I'm just curious, kind of like what like learning lessons were along the way there. Um, so I had zero clue how to do it. If I'm being yeah. honest with you, I just yeah. kind of dove into it head first. Um, but I think having the background in architecture and working in an architectural mm-hmm. office and having a, a fundamental understanding of how the building code worked and all of that allowed me to kind of push, like kind of weather the storm of it. And I had a lot of support throughout the entire time, right? So I had a network that I had built in that very short period of time that we're all doing duplex conversions. And so I picked people's brains and I asked questions all the time. I, I probably annoyed a hell of a lot of people. Um, but along the process, I kind of figured my way. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I didn't really have, um, support from family and stuff like that. And so having to build out that network became a huge kind of importance to me. Uh, and that's probably the only reason I, I kind of got through it. If I'm being so- honest. Let, let's dive into that a bit, if, if you don't mind, because um, I think we kind of have a similar story in the sense that when we both got started off in investing family, I mean, obviously, they're going to be there to like they're going to f- go with the flow, right? Ultimately, mm-hmm. because they're your parents for most people, um, but they might not necessarily think you're making the wrong decision. So how did you navigate that kind of family dynamic? Like you said that you still borrowed money from you uh, for they you still borrowed money from them. Were they adamant and loaning you money? How do they feel about your journey now? Did you give them updates along the way? Like, how do you kind of navigate that journey of having family who thinks you're not making the right decision, but of course you're, you're doing otherwise of what they say. Yeah. I mean, there's so much in that, that you could really break out um, and really dive into little, little kind of subtopics of that conversation. But I think for the important thing for me is for, for me was, just being open and honest with them about the process and being like, listen, I I need to do this for me. I'll regret it if I don't do this. And so, like you said, to your point, there wasn't a lot of support. No one was this openly discouraging me from doing it, but there was no one saying, yeah, I think this is a great idea. Some like take chances or whatever. I came from a very kind of conservative minded uh, family dynamic where it was about saving money and not investing, but just save your money. And then eventually you'll be able to get somewhere. And so for me, the, the whole conversation of how to like bring family on board to, to loan money is one thing. And that's the kind of a separate conversation, but throughout the process, yeah, uh, it's updating them on what's going on and, and, uh, and, and showing them that you're, you're making a commitment to learn and stuff like that. And so really, really just bringing family along with you along the journey and updating them as things go on has been, has been key for me, uh, at least bringing my family on board to, to be more supportive of the process for sure. 
did they feel more confident in your journey overall now that you've uh, achieved some success in real estate? Like how they well, started? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I hope they would. Um, I have a, I have a few uh, joint ventures with some family right now. Um, we've refinanced a few places and we're revisiting some some new opportunities right now. So there's probably some more purchases coming in the next short little bit um, with some family as well. So. Yeah, no, they've, they've definitely started, they started asking questions more and more. Um, and I think just because there was a, a period in time where it was like probably a year and a half where all I talked about was real estate, literally, like I, I did not talk about anything else. And so the only points of conversation that I was having with people, family included, were real estate conversations. And I've dialed that back now. I've, I've kind of been able to control kind of when I have these conversations and strategically. Um, but at the beginning, I was just so excited that that's literally all I was talking about. And so um, slowly and slowly, my family kind of got on board with that and started asking more questions. And, and that kind of built confidence from their perspective slowly. Yeah, like I'll, I'll just add two things there. I think the, the main concern that I have with doing business with family is that real estate and all the transactions that we do are based on like a number of assumptions, right? And while we can take like educated guesses or, or whatever you want to call them, there are variables beyond our control, right? And so this is like, usually when you're doing a joint venture with another real estate investor or someone that's aspiring to be a real estate investor, they understand that there's risk involved in X, Y, Z assumptions, right? Yeah. Like maybe something doesn't rent out for 1400, maybe you rent out for 1350, right? But when you go with individuals like family that are blindly just trusting you, and then you're off on like one assumption, it's like, well, Mayu, what the hell? You said this. And I'm like, bruh, <laughs> like, I just, <laughs> you know, like I, I can't be sitting here explaining every single variable that's involved in this. Right. So that's the main thing, but I'm glad that it's working out for you. And then the second thing I just want to like, uh, you know, I really, I really relate to that, that side of like, when you're so like passionate and into something like you, you've consumed real estate 24 seven, and it gets to a point of, you talk about real estate 24 seven. Some people will definitely find that annoying and it's yeah. happened to you. Right? <laughs> but that's and important like, though. Like you need to, yeah. you need to, you need to invest in yourself to the point where if people who don't want to associate you with you, because you're invested in this thing, then, then let that be. Right. And so for me, I think that's, that's extremely important is just dive into it head first and really get obsessed with it. Any of our listeners that feel the same way, you don't need to, you're not weird and we're perfectly fine. You just got to meet more real estate investors so you can exactly. talk to them about real estate 24 seven and then talk to everyone. If you don't talk to them about real estate, they'll think you're weird. <laughs> What's this guy talking to? <laughs> okay, Joe. So, so you started off in Hamilton and as much as I, I feel like I'd, I'd like to break down the Sudbury deal. Cause I think the the Hamilton, the duplex conversion, like we know, and like, the, like it, it's worked in, well in the past right now today, like you said, it's more of an equity play um, price appreciation. I'm sure will be there as well. But you're doing it in Sudbury and I don't think I've ever had anyone tell me they're doing conversions in Sudbury and something I've looked into personally as well and, and, and just trying to gauge what the numbers are. So I'm curious what kind of numbers you're seeing out in Sudbury, why you went to Sudbury for the conversion, because there's a lot of other cities. Like what about Brantford, Welland, Niagara, even Windsor, Kitchener, yeah, even Windsor. Yeah. <laughs> um, Sudbury is arguably the lowest ARV price, like dollar perspective, right? Like, yeah. like a, a converted duplex. I don't know. Maybe it's worth like 450 grand or something like that, right? So like, I'm just curious why you chose to go into the Sudbury market and then we'll, 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 we'll break it down after that. Yeah. Let's start with that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think for me, I really like the, the fundamental economics of Sudbury. Um, I, I like high income. I like the, 
the growth potential of the area. And uh, I'm a huge uh, believer that nickel will, will, will take off in the next, uh, the next 10 years or so. So that's kind of uh, my confidence in the market. Um, but from a numbers perspective, I've been finding that if you're buying in specific areas, if you're buying in high quality areas in the Sudbury area, you can actually get really good deals. And the conversion is actually easier. Um, it's easier with the city. Uh, this is what I'm finding. And it's easier from a renovation perspective. And I'm actually finding that the numbers are, are, are much better. Um, so I'm, uh, I think the last two deals that I've done between the two deals, we have about $25,000, $30,000 invested uh, between the two properties. Uh, and they cash flow close to conservatively speaking, probably um, 1500 to 1700 And so when you, when you do the, the returns on that, it, it's, uh, it's pretty phenomenal. So I, I mean, I haven't found it too difficult to find good deals. It just depends on what you're looking for, uh, for me. So what, what's like the purchase price? How much do you generally spend on renovations in a house in Sudbury? If you want to pick yeah. one of the two houses that you did out in Sudbury, um, sure. so price renovations and what's the ARV. And is this kind of like, I mean, I'm just going to assume here, is this like the new Sudbury area, like, like up near the top there? So I, I have, I have one in new Sudbury and then I have one in, uh, in a smaller section. That's a really high quality area. Uh, it's kind of, uh, to the, what is that? Uh, West End of Sudbury, uh, but still kind of Sudbury proper. So not any of the kind of surrounding cities in the area. Gotcha. Um, and so I'll break down the first one. Um, so we purchased at two ninety five. It already it was a great deal. Uh, we we got under contract pretty quickly, and uh, it already had a basement apartment. And we added a third bedroom to the main floor, opened up a wall, and. Uh, basically just updated the, the basement apartment that was already there and made it legal. Uh, so that in total cost us uh, 30,000 between doing all that. Sorry, not 30,000, probably 35. Uh, when I Do you want to dig in into that fees. scope of work actually with yeah. 35 yeah, grand? Sure. Cause we hear Hamilton is like hundred grand, right? 120 yeah. grand. So yeah. let's, <laughs> what does that cover? Yeah. So the, the scope covers um, basically uh a little bit of new framing. So putting up uh, like an additional wall upstairs to separate off for a bedroom. Uh, it covers um, putting in like fire insulation and all, all the insulation into the ceiling to make it soundproof and fire uh, and uh, fire retardant. Uh, it includes in installing a new washroom and putting kind of new floors and new baseboards, but the kitchen's already down there. Uh, that access is already separated. The main floor is in really good condition. We just did a little bit of updates in the in the basement and then called it a day. So are you building it to fire code and Ontario building code, but not getting permits from the city? Um, or are you getting the permits? You're getting like, I guess in this case, you didn't have to do brand new plumbing and brand new electrical. Um, is that really where the cost savings were? Because it seems low, right? Like 35. It, like it definitely was low. Out of, obviously, I have another place that the we did a full conversion, a full basement, uh, and the prices is, is is much. How much different. does a renovation like that cost for like a full basement? Like conversion? for a full basement, I'm finding I've had a few quotes come in, kind of around the eighty mark okay. uh, in that area. Uh, I'm I have something around basically. I think it's going to come in around seventy five, eighty uh, for that. Um, 
I mean, I think that's more reasonable if you're looking at doing a full new conversion, uh, not taking in, like we were able to, um, to take very specific circumstances that we had with this property and able to make a 30 grand work. And that's why the property ultimately works. But in this other prop in this other property that uh, I purchased, it, it was much more intensive of a rent. It is, we're kind of still going through it right now. It's much more intensive renovation than the last one. And so obviously the, the renovation cost is going to be much more increased there. So that first property you're talking about, was it already a legal duplex or that, that 35 K included like a conversion to legal duplex, or is it just like a, like a granny suite or uh, another in-law suite in the basement? So it was a, it was an in-law suite that was already kind of physically separated with a fire okay. door. So we went through the legal process of making everything, uh, everything proper. Uh, that's basically all we did. We just legalized a, a unit that was already there. I think the best thing about this property specifically was the buy, because I think the property should have went for around 330 to 340 and we pick it up for 295. So um, the value add here was the buy and not necessarily the renovation. The renovations were more updates and legalization stuff than anything else. Gotcha. So right? let's talk about how you had the confidence to kind of go in there and see that there's not any significant work that needs to be done to the basement to legalize it, right? Because what always scares me is, is that since the basement's already finished behind the walls, we're not exactly sure what's in it, right? How did you kind of gain the confidence that, okay, all I have to do is fire rate it and it should be good to go to legalize? Well, I think a lot of the, the confidence comes in from what your purchase price is, right? Like if you know you're going to get a, a steal of a deal, right? If you know you're getting so low that if anything happens, you could just resale it. Um, it kind of gives you that security to move quickly on properties. So that's what I look for when I'm purchasing anything is what's the value of the property? What could I sell it for on the market? And what am I actually getting it for? So that's key because that gives you that buffer that if something goes wrong, because you're right, if it already has a suite in the basement um, or if there's already kind of stuff that's covered up, like you don't know what's behind those walls and you have to budget for those contingencies. And so buying the property at a discount gives you the security uh, to make a decision quickly on, on something like that. And so that's where I emphasize my importance is right at the beginning. And so if I know I'm getting a deal, then I know I can weather the storm, wherever that comes. Yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense, right? You buy undervalued, then you already have contingencies kind of built in through your built-in equity. Exactly. Um, what's the ARV on the property that in, in like New Sudbury, when it's legal duplex, like what, what's it worth? When, when I purchased the property, the intention was a kind of 370 ARV on that. I've recently seen a few duplexes in that same area, like low 400s. So we're kind of expecting a 400 ARV now, uh, based on how the market's been out there. But uh, yeah, that's I, I'm expecting somewhere around a like either high 300s or low 400s. Yeah, that's phenomenal. I've been yeah. looking at that area and I'm seeing single families nowadays sell for 320, 330, and yeah. they're not like fully done up as well. So like prices yeah. have but, gone up pretty crazily there. But I like how you broke it down where where you acknowledge that you know when you bought it. The ARV that you were targeting was somewhere in like the high, high. Yeah, the market's yeah. moving so quickly. I hate yeah. when I see people like, oh, yeah, I, I got a full burr on this. Well, it's like, well, yeah. when you bought it, was it really a full burr? Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I, I'm buying properties knowing that I'm going to have cash left in them. But if if I somehow get a full burr, I'm going to be honest, like uh, if we were not expecting to pull all of our money out on this deal and it's looking like it's going to be positive on the end. Yeah. Right? All, the, all that really matters is that you're comfortable with the, what the net investment is. And more importantly, 
in my opinion, you're comfortable with what kind of ROI or cash on cash return, whatever you value more, um, what kind of rates of return you're getting on that net investment, right? So that's exactly. solid. Um, what is the, What is the second project? What do the numbers there look like? Austin, I think you were going to break down, but yeah. Yeah. And I want to kind of share my, um, the reason why Maya and I are asking so heavily into this is because, um, and it might be a limiting belief on our end because we're not big into conversions, but we always think that like conversions in these small cities where ARB is limited, rental cost is going to be more or less the same or usually more expensive than these bigger cities like Hamilton because it's less contractors, right? Materials are generally going to be more expensive than bigger cities because there's less suppliers there, right? Or shipping times take longer. So all in all, we're just like, okay, like if we do a duplex conversion in these places, like rentals are going to be the same. AR upside ARV is going to be limited. So we want to kind of pick your brain on how you're making this work with only 10, 15K left in per project. I think it's even more interesting that you went from Hamilton to Sudbury, right? So Hamilton market, that makes perfect sense, right? ARVs are up there. You spend like 80 grand. It doesn't matter because you're getting 150, 200K lift or whatever you're getting, right? Um, Sudbury is a market where, where prices, like if you spend 80 grand on a 300K house, that is, what is that? Like rough math, roughly like 30% of the value of the house that you're buying, right? Which is a pretty extensive rental versus in Hamilton, you buy a house for 600 grand, you spend 80 grand. That's like one sixth or whatever of your purchase price. Right. So that's where like, like why go to like a lower price market? Um, that's really where it comes from. So we're just trying to understand the numbers there. So if you have a second project that's recent as well, like with the, that's more of a big scale development, right? Like, or conversion, let's call it. Um, I'd love to just hear those numbers as well. I researched the, the market for a little bit and my initial hesitancy in going in there was the exact same thing that you guys are talking about. Well, wouldn't the renovation cost roughly be the same because labor is the same and stuff like that. Um, and then I started talking to people who were actually doing conversions out there and they started giving me conversion numbers like, like 50 grand or 60 grand. And I was like, it just didn't make sense to me. And so to be honest with you, I'm not entirely sure where the difference comes in, but I'm seeing contracts that the the contracts that I've been coming in from various contractors, I've had like large professional contractors. And then I've had, um, like kind of those, uh, those one-off guys who do their own renovations kind of thing. And they're all coming in around a full conversion for me around 70 to 90. And so that's, that's kind material of, and labor. That's material yeah. and labor. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, to be honest with you, like I was pretty taken back with that when I first came across it, even because I'm used to Hamilton where the latest conversion that I did was a $180,000 renovation. That was a full gut for everything, but still, right. Like I was expecting values to come in much higher, but for some reason they're, they're not, I mean, renovations are, are still lower. I think they're creeping up now that there's contractors have so much more demand there. Uh, Cause right now it's really hard to find good contractors out there. And so I'm being very hesitant with my purchases, making sure that uh, I have something lined up and making sure that I'm getting good value uh, from the property on the purchase um, for those deals specifically. Um, but yeah, I, I would agree with you. That's kind of, that was my biggest help pulled up at the beginning as well. So breaking down the kind of second deal, uh, we purchased at 345. Um, it's a it's a brick bungalow with an attached with a, an attached garage. And the initial objective was to try to do three units. So to convert the garage into a unit, it's a large garage. It's like five six hundred square feet. It's like a basically a condo in Toronto. And so the initial thought was additionally it had a basement as well. We were going to do a full unit in that garage. 
but things didn't really pan out the way we wanted it to. So we were just converting it into kind of a, a more efficient storage. And we have kind of a, we put a laundry space in there to give us more room in the basement. Cause typically you would put the, if you had a shared laundry, you'd have that in the basement. Um, so we've done a few things with that, but for the main house, we're just updating it. We're just doing some new flooring, uh, a little bit of, of paint and trim and stuff like that, uh, updating the washroom. Uh, but for the rest of it, we're keeping it the same. The basement is where uh, we're kind of doing a huge amount of the work. So a lot of the plumbing in the basement that we had and all the electrical is all set up in the right locations. And so we are able to kind of cut back on some of the costs just by uh, having plumbing and everything kind of already in the right spots. We build our plans out based on what the existing conditions are. I think that's important for anyone who is doing duplex conversions, where you're going to save the most, most amount of money is evaluating what the existing conditions are and then planning your renovation for those existing conditions. You want to put things in the most optimal place, but if you can work with the locations, you can really cut down on costs, right? Um, Because for example, running, like if you want to put a kitchen on the exact opposite side of where all the plumbing is like you got to tear up the floor you got there's a whole process that gets involved right so being strategic on where you place things to get the most value out of the, of the property is where you will add the most value to your basement renovation i think that makes a lot of sense because i think we talk about strategic renovations when you talk about like normal cosmetic renovations right like do you put in quartz or do you put in like laminate like countertops right do you put in like hardware or lvp right um what you're saying is that even within the conversion space like a conversion that you're going to do in Kitchener may be something where you can have the perfect optimal layout where you're going to move the kitchen wherever you got to move it to to make it work out perfectly and, and all that kind of stuff. And you're going to put in pot lights and um, you're going to do a lot of electrical and plumbing work. And it's no big deal because the, the ARVs are up there. In Sudbury, you just have to be more strategic with your renos where on the main floor, maybe if it's, a, if, if it's not broken, don't fix it. I mean, I'm sure you're going to paint and make it cosmetically appealing and whatever, right? But um, don't move a kitchen for no reason. Don't move a bathroom, like unless you absolutely have to, right? Um, so that that does make a lot of sense. I, I guess it's it's the same concept that we do in the renovation side. You're just taking it to, uh, on the conversion side, right? So what do your numbers look like on that one? So you bought it for three, was it three fifty? You said or we bought it for three forty five. Um, we were expecting to put about uh, seventy five, seventy five eighty. Um, and so we're expect we're seeing uh, an ARV coming in right now around the around like the 500 mark in that area. Uh, wow. So uh, I'm getting estimates from my realtor out there um, for kind of like a 520. Uh, I'm being conservative and just kind of saying kind of like a high 400s to low uh, low 500s area. So like a 500. Let me ask you this. Um- are people setting precedents beforehand? Because I would think that duplex conversions are still relatively new in Sudbury. So anyone who has completed a recently brand new duplex conversion is not listing it on the market right away. So like, how are these people getting the 520K? Because it's not like Hamilton or well, Toronto where it's like more common, right? That's the same problem that a lot of investors out in, out in like Welland and St. Cat or not St. Cats, but more so Welland have, right? Like all these investors are doing conversions but then there's no comps because no one's selling a conversion after you do it. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I think I, it'd be even more so in Sudbury. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it definitely is. But, um, but I think that's been the same everywhere. Like for example, Hamilton 
two years ago when I started, they, no one was selling duplexes either, right? And so the the value is based off of what people are willing to pay for it. And so there's there are a few places that have sold, and I think the appraisers right now are rationalizing it based on the difference in prices of areas. So if a, if a duplex is selling in one area of Sudbury that maybe typically is $50,000 lower than another area, then when they go to that area, they're using the, 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 the other comp, the other duplex as a, as a relative gauge to how much more duplexes are than single family homes and adding on that premium for that area. Um, so there have been a few, but I mean, the, the appraisers are doing their best from that perspective. And so I've heard from uh, my contacts out in Sudbury that appraisers are doing are, are appraising properties a little higher than what they would sell for. Um, because, That's good news. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm not complaining. Um, based on based on that information, um, but nonetheless, like that's how they're doing it mostly, from my understanding. Well, I, I think what you're saying from a numbers perspective actually makes sense. I had a student that was bidding on a duplex in the Little Britain area, and that thing sold for like 450, and it was like an unrenovated duplex. And it was like a side-by-side duplex, but still. So like a, like a five, mid five numbers, that definitely makes sense. I mean, you're, it's not going to be side-by-side, but still in a better area and stuff like that, right? So question here, Joe. Um, so you started off in Hamilton, did conversions there. I assume that's within driving distance. You feel comfortable managing the project if need be. Now you're up in Sudbury, where conversions obviously are not as kind of common. And the type of contractors you need for a conversion are generally more sophisticated contractors who know Ontario building code. Ideally, they would have done a conversion or two, right? Um, when I was in Windsor and I was exploring with my first couple of contractors for a conversion and started with them, they didn't exactly know what they were doing. It was the first time going to the process. So it was a nightmare. How did you build your power team um, up in Sudbury? I'm I'm assuming you don't live in Sudbury. That's one question no. we need to answer. Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, how did you build your power team up in Sudbury? How often do you find yourself going back and forth? Because you, it seems like the things you're saying, you're actually physically there to say like, okay, this is the best um, layout that we could have because you're an architect. You can kind of see those things. And um, yeah, so what's your involvement in these projects? And uh, how did you start building your power team up there? Yeah. So uh, I think building your power team really comes down to what is your network? So it, it starts before you even go to a, an area, right? So it, it starts with the network that you have in your inner circle, talking with those people and finding uh, kind of maybe a realtor or a property manager out in that direction and building it out from there. And so to your point about the renovations, I think where I've been able to add the most value is I'm able to, because I have an understanding of how the conversion actually works, what the processes were, are, what the, what the, the legal construction process is. I'm actually able to work with contractors who are a little less experienced in the conversion process because it's a little bit more involvement on my side. I've, I was up there every two weeks or so kind of walking things through, kind of giving them what's the next thing that we need to do and stuff like that. But um, I've added the most value to that property in the sense that I am able to look at what needs to get done and make sure that it gets done in the the right order based on my background and based on kind of what information, when the inspections need to take place. So I'm kind of holding his hand throughout the process because I'm planning to do more and I want to build. So the contractor that I have out there, I want to build them out as kind of being my go-to guy uh, in that area. And so I'm trying to, I'm, I am the one teaching him how to do the renovation. 
And so that that's how I've been able to build out the team from a contractor perspective. Um, from that, from that point, I hire in for specific things, uh, and I'm teaching them how the process works from there. And then for other smaller things, I just hire out other subcontractors or whatnot. Yeah. Things that aren't necessarily legal products that have to be done a certain way, or maybe it's just drywall or, or maybe it's plumbing, but generally speaking, a plumber knows what his legal responsibilities are. It's the general contractor that you really have to worry about. They have to know how to do the fire rating. They have to know how to set up all the fire alarms. They have to know how to do the sound barrier properly. And so kind of walking him through that has, has been where I've added value to kind of his, uh, his work. Ah, that's pretty interesting. I think conversions yeah. is one of those things where if someone's looking to do it, it makes a lot of sense to partner up for your first one because you really don't know what you don't know, right? Um, it's not as cosmetic and as quick and easy as some of the other renovations that a lot of people do, even myself included. Right. So, um, that's, it's great that you had that knowledge coming into things, which I'm sure benefited, benefited you a lot along the way as well. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so Joe, I generally like to ask our guests three questions at this point in the, in the podcast. Um, the first question is where are we going to be seeing you like five years from now? What's your goal? Um, what are you planning to do with the business and so on? Uh, so the next five years right now, uh, for me, it's, uh, I'm building this out more as a business. So I'm starting to bring on more, more JV partners. I have a kind of a personal goal, uh, like an income goal, but, uh, I'll keep that mostly personal. Um, but, uh, long-term I'm the main goal is a hundred units or not a hundred units, but a hundred properties. Um, and then how that converts into units is how it converts. Uh, right now I've, been focusing on the duplexes. So that's kind of, I've been looking at it as a 200 unit goal. That's okay. awesome. Yeah. Uh, second question here is if you won $10 million and you had seven days to spend it, um, how would you spend it and why you cannot spend it all on real estate? Honestly, I would probably go on a really nice vacation. I have not, uh, I have not gone on a vacation in a while uh, because I've been just working mostly. Uh, so I'd go on a nice vacation uh, for the most part, but that would probably not use up all 10, 10 million. I'd be surprised if you used up a million. <laughs> I'd be, I'd be happy if you used up all 10 million. It'd be a really good vacation, but, um, geez, uh, I didn't plan for that question. I don't know. Um, for me, uh, I'd probably spend it mostly on family and vacation. Family is a big part of my life. And so whatever my family needs, um, whatever worries they have, that would be the first and foremost thing that they spend it on. You're going to gift it to your family so they can re-gift it to you after the <laughs> seven-day period. <laughs> um, so, so Joe, I just want to circle back on one thing that you answered before, the 100 units. And you also mentioned that you're trying to quit your job as soon as possible. Uh, let's just do some public accountability here. At how many units would you quit your job? At how many units would I quit my job? Um, right now, the goal is 18. And so 18 we're, units? yeah, you had six units right now, right? We're at, uh, we're at 10 units. We're going to be closing for the 12th soon, like to, to get up to 12 soon. Okay. You're um, almost there. You're, I, I'm almost there. Close. I'm actually, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking by basically by my three-year mark in real estate will be the, the time where I, I actually take the leap. So maybe six to eight months from now, kind of idea. That's awesome, man. That's exciting. Yeah. 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 It's I'm, now I'm not a process. Retire. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I'm at a stage right now where I'm kind of lining, trying to line things up so that when I do decide, if I do decide to make that decision or when I do decide to make that decision, everything's already, the, the business is, uh, is operating properly and whatnot. Um, so yeah. that's the goal. 
get rid of your cars, any monthly liabilities, and exactly. just stay at, at, a, at a family member's house until they'll let you good, <laughs> Until you can get everyone. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, all right. So the next question is, if you could have dinner with anyone dead or alive, who would you choose and why? Uh, Albert Einstein. I'm a huge Albert Einstein fan. Uh, I don't know why, uh, but I've always, uh, I, I've, I've followed his kind of biography ever since I was little. Uh, and I, I love the kind of, um, the, the process that he went through in his life to kind of get where he was, uh, where no one kind of believed in him and, uh, and and he had to kind of overcome certain circumstances. Uh, I won't like dive into that, but it would be definitely be Albert Einstein. That's awesome, man. I uh, I don't think we ever heard Albert Einstein before. It's just a, you know what it is. It's a it's a personal thing for me. Like it's just someone that I kind of looked up to when I was little, uh, and it's kind of stuck with me the whole time. Yeah, that's but, amazing, uh, dude. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm sure there's other there's dozens of other people that I would uh, that I would happily uh, join for lunch with or dinner or whatever. But uh, if I had to be uh, looking back at my uh, kind of ten year old self, it would definitely be Albert Einstein. That's phenomenal, dude. Yeah. Um, Joe, really appreciate you jumping on this podcast. And uh, as per usual, another amazing story of a real estate investor who just got started very recently, but was able to scale their portfolio quite aggressively. And kudos to you to the, uh, I guess, the, the goals that you have of 100 properties, 200 units, no doubt you're going to reach it. And really appreciate all of those golden nuggets that you shared. Because one interesting thing that you did say that none of our other guests mentioned before is that when you enter a new market, you do have to get involved, right? People like to think that your power team is going to carry you all the way there. Not really, um, not usually for the first month or two. And, and and you're showing that, right? Like you're training your power team up. You're seeing the potential in them. You're training them up so that they can be, they can take an active role in the future and you can be more passive. Um, you're doing amazing things in real estate, man. If people want to reach out to you, connect with you, how could they do so? Uh, so you can reach out to me over Facebook, Joseph Costanza, or you can reach out to me over Instagram, same same name, Joseph Costanza. Awesome. So all of the details are going to be um, in the show notes below. And until next time, everyone, make sure. Oh, no, actually, before I get into that, make sure to like, subscribe, comment, <laughs> rate this podcast if you guys enjoyed it. Do anything you can to support it. And now until next time, everyone, invest smarter and live better. Mm-hmm.